The scripture reading today is taken from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. to be with you today. It's, I'll even say, an honor to preach one final time. And uh, I believe that God's spirit was at work here before I arrived. I believe he has been at work among us as we've worked together some. And I believe he's going to keep working even uh, once I've gone and once God is in full, full force and full effect. So let's keep giving him the glory. Let's give God the glory. Um, on a personal note, I will say thank you for welcoming me and my family. And I think I've said that since day one, and so I just continue to say it until the last day here. Um, thank you for welcoming us and receiving us as one of your own. Um, as I've, it's been, I've been talking to Jay a good bit lately, and one of the things I keep telling Jay Barbieri is I'm not the same person that I was a year ago. And so um, you guys have changed me a little bit. I now drink pour-over coffee. <laughs> My jeans are a little skinnier. <laughs> a little more urban. <laughs> I think I got a little liberty inside me somewhere and a little bit of Philly, so I'm probably more cranky, too. <laughs> a little more direct. <laughs> I remember when I first met Jeff Bradford, I was like, that guy is direct. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, probably most importantly, um, I've learned so much about what it means to follow Jesus um, over the course of last year. So I thank you for the part that you guys have played um, in that. I remain um, humbled and amazed, and God has not treated me the way that my sins deserve. So I'm humbled um, before you. Let me pray again, and then let's uh, take a look at Romans 8. Lord, um, you are our strength in weakness. Would you visit us now in our weakness 
in my weakness by giving us more and more and more reason to celebrate and rejoice, knowing the victory, the final victory is yours only in one man, in one God-man that we serve, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is risen. He is risen. Be with us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I've said that these are four prayers, the four sermons on Romans. So if you're um, just visiting or you're new with us today, we're doing a short four-part series on Romans 8. And the final prayer today is simply that you would rejoice that in the coming weeks and months, your relationship with Christ and your faith would be marked by celebration and enjoyment and rejoicing, and um, especially rejoicing in the unbelievable freeing love that God has given you in Christ and by the power of the Spirit. So um, that's my prayer for you guys today. When uh, I do want to tell you a story to start. When Julie and I first got engaged, I guess it was the only time we got engaged, actually. <laughs> when we got engaged for the only time, I took her to the Kennedy Center and to hear the, uh, the National Philharmonic Symphony Orchestra. Um, and they were doing a rendition, uh, they were doing Mahler's rendition of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Okay? And I may have told some of you this story before because I used that kind of as a fake surprise. Have I told you guys this? She was so excited to hear this symphony because she loves the Ninth Symphony uh, that she didn't expect what was coming at the end, you know, which was to, to um, throw myself at her feet and beg her to marry me. <laughs> she said yes. <laughs> still excited. (laughs) And um, what's so amazing about Mahler's version, it's really worth celebrating because, I mean, almost all of us know the Ninth Symphony, the the classic tune. It's been used again and again in movies and and film. And I don't want to try to sing it. I'm really tempted to try to sing it in German, but I won't. but it, it, it just it builds to this dramatic climax. You know, it's like a fanfare from the start, and you think it can't get any more intense. But then it kind of is building, and it's building, and building. At the end, there's this um, chorus that just breaks out, and, and you're, you're sort of, like, blown away. And that's the original. And then what Mahler did is Mahler's like, I'm going to throw twice as many instruments on stage, and I'm going to throw, like, three times as many singers. And I, I'm telling you, that moment was... Uh, hearing that was, was one of the top, like in the top two musical experiences of my entire life. We were just blown away. And that's saying something because I've seen Striper live. So, um, <laughs> we were, <laughs> don't worry, Striper does not make it into the top five. Um, but we were blown away by the intensity. We left, and Julie even said that was like a spiritual experience. Um, just letting the music wash over us in so much intensity. And I think, I think what Romans 8, 31 through 39 is, is it's a bit like the chorus at the end of Mahler's symphony, at the end of Beethoven's ninth. See, Paul's not really introducing any new content. Most of the content we've already covered over the course of the last three weeks, it's the, the basic content of the Christian faith that we cover again and again, week in and week out. But he is now taking a moment to pause and celebrate 
and celebrate with dramatic intensity the implications of everything that's been said. So it's like a climax. It's a climax to all of chapter 8. It's a climax to the argument he's been making in in chapters 6 through 8. It's almost a climax to the entire book of Romans up until this point. Verses uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 8, verse 39. What does it mean to have faith? Where does faith lead? Where does faith end? It ends with this question that Arlene paused on. What shall we say if God is for us? Who then can be against us? Who can be against us? And a great part of faith in the power and presence of Christ's spirit at work among you involves allowing it to settle in. And it settles in 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 an unsettling sort of way, in a way that deeply unsettles us. It's it's stunning at times. It's shocking. the, The music washes over you. It's too good to be true. It's one of the reasons I was thinking that many of the great hymns end in a question or begin in a question. What wondrous love is this, oh my soul? I can't capture it. Even the hymn that we sang today, I scarce can take it in when I really get my mind and my heart and my hands around it. And my favorite hymn of all time, and can it be that I should gain some interest in the Savior's blood? But then we ask ourselves, How often are we there? How often are we unsettled? How often are we celebrating and reveling and delighting and enjoying in these truths? I'll be honest with you, um, Romans 8 has been unsettling me a little bit. (laughs) I've had more of those exciting moments, more of that washing over me, but it's still easy to return to the default, which is cynicism. It's still easy to return to kind of a, 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 to let the low level guilt return and just kind of pressure us into thinking, no, it, it, it's, you know, something else, there needs to be something more, something else needs to be done. It's easy to, to lose your perspective. It's easy to, um, Get frantic, if you're anything like me, to try to return to perfectionism, to try to continue doing it on your own. But today, Paul is calling you, Liberty Church, to rejoice. I almost want to say relax. <laughs> that's, how, that's how empowering it is. Rest, rejoice, celebrate, stir up your hearts, stir up your minds, stir up and lift them up to the Lord. He is calling you. rejoice. He is calling you to rejoice because God loves you so completely, so completely in Christ. Rejoice. Rejoice. And he gives you three specific reasons to rejoice. One, and these are just reminders of the things that we've already seen. You have a powerful advocate who will not leave you. Two, rejoice because you have an inseparable union inseparable union with Christ in his love. And three, rejoice because you have an astounding, an astounding victory in him. So let's look at those three things as he calls us to rejoice. Let's start with verses 31 through 34. Look back at 31 through 34. Um, Paul, as he arrives at his conclusion, he wants you to see that God is your advocate. 
God is advocating for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? And what does an advocate do? An advocate takes your side. An an advocate stands up for you. An advocate defends you. And this idea has been running all throughout Romans 8. It's been running week in and week out. God is at work. Although we were hostile to him, we rejected his plan. We rejected his presence with us and his rule over our lives. So we should have every reason to expect that he would be against us, that he would be our enemy, that he would be hostile to us. But instead, look at how active he's working. And just remember what we've talked about. He is condemning sin. He's breaking its power. He's pouring out his spirit on us. He's adopting you as sons. He's giving you, he's making you into heirs with Christ. All a part of his plan to make you more like Jesus. See how active he is? This is an active advocate. The God of Israel, as the psalmist says, does not slumber nor sleep. He's working for you, but he's not working. He's not like, um, you know, last week I said, he's kind of like a lawyer in some senses. The spirit is using this language that you don't understand as he defends you. That's good, but it's a little too impersonal. God is not only a lawyer. He's not like some kind of a machine. He's working out of a great love for you at a great cost to himself. Don't miss that in this passage, particularly in verse 32. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Uh, One of my favorite authors, Paul Miller, is constantly saying, love involves an exchange. It has to involve an exchange. If I'm really going to love you, I have to give something of myself. So if I can give you a little example of this. I really meant to ask Julie if I could do this beforehand. <laughs> one more time. <laughs> no, this one is not, uh, in, in, isn't indicting in any way. <laughs> I hope. Uh, if Julie asks me, well, I, I, should, I should preface it by saying this. I have the, the, the benefit and blessing of being able to fall asleep in like 0.02 seconds. Anywhere, I could kind of lie down on the floor right now and just fall asleep. Or in a car, in a plane, when I go to bed at night, I just my head hits the pillow and I'm asleep. Julie, not so much. It, she's the one that usually takes a little bit longer, so her thoughts are moving and her thoughts are going and things like that. So if it's, you know, 10.30 or 11 at night, I'm drifting ever so quickly into sleep. You can't even call it drifting. And Julie kind of grabs me by the arm, and she might say, Hey, Dwayne, um, do you think you could go downstairs... Check the front door just to make sure it's locked. (laughs) And I can say, this gives me a chance to really love her, right? I can love her. And what would loving her look like? Pulling off the covers, (laughs) getting up, walking all the way downstairs, checking the front door, and then going back upstairs. So I can love her by giving her peace. I can give her comfort. I can help her to sleep. But it costs me. It costs me. I've got to get out of bed. <laughs> I've got to leave the warmth and I lose five more minutes of sleep. And it's, it's a silly little example, but the idea is there and you'll see it all over the scripture and all over the Bible. If you want love to be real, it involves some sort of an exchange. And the exchange that is taking place here is an unbelievable and overwhelming I- I- exchange. Look at what, what's happening. God is loving you by giving up what is most valuable to him. He's giving up his son. He says his own son. He says it is his only son 
how then could he turn around and withhold anything else from you if he's willing to do that? That's why Jesus Christ is at the center of what Paul is saying. If all the divine love and holiness and glory and wisdom and power in Christ is there in Jesus and he gives him to us, where are we going to find power? Where are we going to find wisdom? Where are we going to find holiness? Run to Jesus. Look to Jesus. See him there and cling to him in his power. That's just to say you need an advocate. You still need an advocate. You see, when he says, when Paul says, who can be against us? It doesn't actually mean there is no one against you. Otherwise, the argument wouldn't make sense. It means that those who are against you can't stand against the power and presence of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Look at verse 33 through 34. There there, there are going to be charges brought against God's elect. There are going to be accusations that you face, maybe from your own guilty conscience, maybe from fear. There are going to be those who attempt to condemn you. Maybe it's it's misery from living in a fallen world. Maybe it's your suffering. Maybe it's Satan and, and evil forces that are at work in the world. But listen, look at what Paul does. He won't yield one square inch to them. He won't yield one square inch to them. See, Paul is not hiding in a corner praying that the storm will pass. He's not sitting around wondering, is this a sin or is this not a sin? Is Jesus going to cover me? Is Jesus not going to cover me? He, he is not... He's not uncertain in the least. He's saying... Look at what he says. He's not anxious. He's not afraid at all. He says, who shall bring any charges? Who's going to condemn? He's basically saying, come on, bring it on. Give me the best that you've got. You know what this is like? This is like, you remember in Forrest Gump when Lieutenant Dan is like strapped. Does he tie himself to the boat? I can't remember if he's actually tied to the boat or if he's just in the boat. But Lieutenant Dan is, you know, he, he kind of throws his arms out to the wind and his accusation is against God. Remember, he's like, do your best forces of nature, whatever you can. In the same way, Paul is tied to this boat, which is Jesus Christ, and he's saying, bring on the storm. You see what I mean? Bring on the accusations. Where can it come from? Where can it come from? There isn't one that can stand. Give it your best shot. Give me everything you've got. There's not a sin. There's not a suffering that Jesus Christ cannot handle. And I think that many of us, I mean, if you're like me, I think you do struggle with what I said earlier is like a low level or a low guilt, kind of like a nagging sense that's always with you that you've done something wrong or that life is bad or that you have a reason to complain and it never exactly erupts to the surface, but it's always kind of simmering there. Um, For me, it's parenting, which produces that. I never have felt more guilty than I ever, than ever before in my entire life until I became a parent. Because, like, our society places so much pressure on parents. Everyone writes all these books, and you have to get everything right. And, like, you take the kid home from the hospital, <laughs> and you're like, it's mine. I'm responsible for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? What am I going to do? And then everything that that child does, you kind of feel guilty for and responsible for. And being a Christian only makes it worse. Being a Christian makes it worse, not better, because then the kid is not supposed to only get all A's. He's also supposed to sit still in church, (laughs) and you don't want to disturb the people around you. But here's what's happening. I'm never really focusing on sin. You know what I mean? 
I'm just allowing this kind of low-level pressure to get at me and to work away at my heart. And I feel bad, and I overanalyze my decisions, and I get angry, but that's no way to live. Where is the joy? Where is the rejoicing? Listen, if you're looking around at your life and you feel this low-level guilt, and you can't specifically identify a sin, lose the guilt. Cast it aside, push it away, get over it, and if it is a sin, pull it up to the surface, look it square in the eye, as bad as it is, like Lieutenant Dan, and say, bring it on, I've got an advocate that will take you down. Jesus is calling you to list your accusers. Who's accusing you? Who is accusing you? Is it your sin? Is it your suffering? Is it your guilt? Is it your shame? Is it the world who's rejecting you? Is it Satan who is whispering disturbing lies into the back of your mind? List those things and tell those things, God is for me. God is on my side. The spirit is at work. And that's what Luther meant when he said sin boldly. You know what I mean? Don't sit in the corner and kind of think, I'm going to brush this one aside. I'm going to let it go. Everything's going to be fine. Name it for what it is. Look at it in the depths of what it is, as bad as it is, and hand it over to Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, by the power of his spirit. Okay, let's look at a second thing. You have an advocate. Paul also wants you to see that you have union with Christ In his love, which can't be broken. Look at 34 and 35. And the key question is this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He's not telling us anything new again. All of chapter 8 has been about our proximity to Christ. Our nearness to him. The presence of the spirit dwelling within you. And sharing with Christ in his glory. But what he's doing now is he's saying, I'm going to celebrate it. I'm going to promote it unequivocally. I am going to declare it and celebrate it wildly. And he does so in two ways. First, look at verse 34. He reminds you of four ways that Christ demonstrates his love for you. Christ has died. And those who believe in him have died with him. Christ was raised. See, and he, you see he's like, it, it's, it's overflowing, you know, Christ has died. No, more than that, Christ is raised. And those of you who are with him have been raised with him. And, and, and he says, no, it's more than that. It's more than that. You know, he loved so intensely that death couldn't hold him. And he, was, he, was, he ascended into heaven. He's sitting at the Father's right side where he reigns and rules. He's at the right hand of God. He's pouring out blessings on you. He's dispensing them. He's giving you access to the Father. And he is, fourthly, interceding for you, praying for you, pleading for you, defending you. You have an advocate, Christ the risen Lord. And then what he does is Paul... He explores all the implications of this love and the permanent power of this love by listing things that can't get in its way. And it's, it is an impressive list. He says, look, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, none of these things can get between you and Christ's love. It's that permanent. Julie and I, I don't know if you guys have ever gotten close to our van, but if you get close, you can go out today when you're leaving, and you'll notice that there's all sorts of stickers 
on the inside of the back window because our kids have taken to every time they get a little name tag, they just slap it on the van window. <laughs> and we're, Julie and I, model parents that we are, like, pick your battles. <laughs> and that's not one that we chose to fight, but what happened is, like, the whole thing got covered with stickers. <laughs> and so what happened the other day, a couple weeks ago, we got a group on for a 50% discount on a car detailing which for a you know a parent of three elementary school kids is just like the god's gift to us because kids you know the minivan of a parent with three children is filled with like crumbs and just moldy rotten things and old crayons i mean they're just they're it, it's everywhere so we got the whole thing detailed but when we showed up i mean it was shiny like there was like the, you know the rims were all done and there was armor all and you know it was it smelled really nice and new but, you know, the only thing the guy couldn't take off, <laughs> the stickers, <laughs> the stickers. He said that to remove those stickers that I guess the sun had just, like, melted against the window, would, he, even with a razor, he would scratch and scrape and destroy the window. <laughs> and I know, again, it's a crazy analogy, but that's how stuck the love of Christ is. <laughs> hey, hey, <laughs> it is. It is. Don't try to remove it. Don't try to remove it. This is my last sermon. I gotta. I gotta throw out everything I've got. <laughs> You're gonna hear analogies you never even dreamt of today. I'm just getting going. <laughs> Save that one to the very end. <laughs> and. It, to get back to the point, it doesn't matter if the threat, look at the list again, it doesn't matter if it's external, if it's tribulation, it doesn't matter if it's external, internal, if it's distress, it doesn't matter if it affects you because you proclaim the name of Jesus, if it's persecution, it doesn't matter if it's a famine, something that would affect all of humanity. Do you see how comprehensive this is? It doesn't matter if it pertains to your weakness or to your shame and nakedness or to someone else's strength. You're too close to him and his love is too way too powerful it is binding you to him these things cannot have the final say if you'll let me get in one more harry potter reference to you <laughs> i'm now done with book three going crazy over book four um, at the end of the first book harry potter and the sorcerer's stone um, dumbledore tells harry why voldemort can't kill him do you remember this it's way back you read it in 1994 Here's what he says. Your mother died to save you. If there is one thing Voldemort cannot understand, it is love. He didn't realize that love. Your mother's love for you leaves its own mark, not a scar, no visible sign. To have been loved so deeply, even though the person who loved us is gone, will give us some protection forever. And here's the phrase I like. It's in your very skin. It's in your very skin it's transformative it's restorative and how much so how much more so the love of christ i mean our mothers have disappointed us our fathers have let us down but this love will never fail 
it will never fail you. And what he's calling you to do is to rejoice in that and to celebrate that and to ask yourself, what is it that's been working in there? What is it that's been trying to separate me from the love of Christ? We get really speculative sometimes. We like to get philosophical and abstract and ask all sorts of questions about creation and evolution and about like the natives that haven't heard and all sorts of things. And those are good questions. They're fine. But I found that so often... Beneath these important topics are personal issues, personal tribulations, intense suffering, or some distress, internal fears and anxieties and sorrows. And, and just ask yourself, has it become too hard to keep the faith? Is there some need which remains unmet, some hunger, some desire? Plead your union with him. Call on his love. Remember that you have been baptized if you have been baptized Rest in his love and celebrate and celebrate. Okay, here's the third point. Here's the third point. You are also more than conquerors. You have an astounding victory. So when you think of the pain that we've just talked about and the suffering and what's standing in your way and all of those things, you realize this is part of the Christian life. Welcome to the Christian life. Things are going to look really, really bad. We have to deal with verse 36. See, um, the Christian life isn't going to always look pleasant. He says, for your sake, we're being killed. For your sake, we're, we're regarded as sheep to the, the slaughter. And he's quoting Psalm 44 to say, that has always been what it has looked like for the people of God. But there is a reality beneath that. And the reality comes next in the following verse. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In other words, when you get into the Christian life, you're dealing with an appearance versus reality problem. You have an appearance versus reality problem. You could, everybody understands this. You couldn't have made it out of ninth grade English without your teacher telling you like 10 trillion times to look for appearance versus reality, appearance versus reality, appearance versus reality. Someone nod. <laughs> Didn't your English teachers tell you this? Yeah. Like, Hamlet appears to be insane, but in reality, he's plotting Claudius' downfall. Or Iago appears to be a very good friend to Othello, but in reality, he's working bitterness and jealousy and deceit into his heart. Or Rosalind appears to be a man, but in reality, she's a woman. I mean, Shakespeare all the time. Do you notice I got three Shakespeare references in there? Okay. Christianity involves an appearance versus reality problem. We appear to be dying, but actually are conquering. Get your mind around that. Go home all week and think about that. We appear to be dying, but we actually are conquering. And if I can um, go to Hebrews real quickly, the author of Hebrews understands exactly what Paul is saying. In chapter 2, verse 8, he says, he left nothing outside of his control. That's God, left nothing outside of Christ's control. At present, though, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. That means everything is under Christ's control, but not everything looks like it's under Christ's control. Everything is under Christ's control, but not everything looks like it is. And in that gap, there's a gap there then between appearance and reality. And that's where the suffering enters in. That's where it gets to you. But that's also where faith 
enters in. And do you know what faith grabs a hold of, what faith sees? In the next verse, the writer of Hebrews says, We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For the writer of Hebrews, for the Apostle Paul, for every writer in the New Testament, for you who believe in Christ, it is a substitution, a substitutionary atonement, Jesus Christ dying on your behalf, taking your sin and shame on top of himself to give you a new heart, to give you a new record, to give you a new master, to get rid of the slavery of sin that is there. That is at the heart of what's happening in in the Christian life and grab onto that. Look at Jesus. See Jesus more clearly. See, you are more than conquerors. How could this be, be true? We don't feel very much like the conquering. We sometimes feel like the conquered, but you are conquerors because Christ has conquered. He has overcome the power of sin and death so that you can continue to fight against sin and death. And there is nothing, there is nothing that can stop his love. There's nothing in this life or in death. Look at Paul's list. There's nothing in the present or the future. See, he rules over time. He, 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 he created time, so he rules over it. There's nothing in time that could destroy you. There's nothing that could get the upper hand. He entered into history. He entered into history on your behalf. He gives meaning to your life and will carry you to completion on that final day. He's not only the Lord of time, he's the Lord of space. See what Paul says? There's not an angel, there's not a power, there's not an authority, there's not a demon, there's not a ruler. There's nothing high or low, no height or depth that can stop his love. The victory is cosmic. The victory is comprehensive. The victory is a permanent and final victory. And what that means for you guys is that you don't just get by. You're not just getting by. You're not just scraping by. You're not just barely making it. You participate in his victory in as much as you are joined to the victor. Join yourself to the victor, the champion of your faith, the captain of your salvation, Cling to him, find yourself in him. And that means go back to the cross again and again and again and celebrate. Go back to the resurrection and celebrate. Go back and see the victory that he has won for you. Turn to Christ, yield to his spirit, and see him at work. If I can pray for you, Liberty, I pray that those things will lead to um, a continual pursuit of more maturity faithful following of Jesus Christ, our Savior, that transforms your actions and transforms your behavior. I pray that that leads to more and more commitment, wholehearted commitment to the work of his church, wholehearted commitment to the spreading of the gospel, wholehearted commitment to the advancement of his kingdom. I pray that that leads to more relational connection to Jesus Christ, not staying on an abstract level. That's where I was last week and talking to you guys a little bit, but intimately, deeply relating to and knowing him who died for you. I I pray that that would produce in you guys a gospel-centered intentionality in all of your conversations with one another, in all of your home meetings, in all of the service that you're doing, getting past the superficial and moving into relating on a gospel level um, in, in all that that means. And finally, I pray that you would rejoice, that you would celebrate, and that you would enjoy. Stop and enjoy 
the freedom that you have. Give thanks and praise to the king for the freedom that he has bought for you. And those are, those are the things that I would pray for you. And I think they're the things that Paul's asking us to, to consider and to leave on. So let's pray. Jesus, we need you. Father, we ask for more of Jesus or, or we will die or we will die. Fill us with hunger and a thirst for Jesus Christ and seeing his name glorified. I pray, Lord, that in, in the future of Liberty Church, um, year after year after year after year, there will be stories told of the pursuit of faithfulness, of growing in maturity, of filling with the Spirit, of powerful prayer, of people coming to know you, of blessings poured out. Would you unleash your spirit upon this church in the exciting new stage of her journey? Um, we pray all those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.